This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. I think we've come to a sort of place of coherence there in putting those two things together. Um, the question that we have to go to is what is happening on page 147. Uh, I wanted to, I'm going to read Galatians 3.10 um, so we can kind of have in front of our mind what the exegetical problem is. Um, it says, for all who were, sorry, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The, the quandary there is Paul seems to be saying, You're under a curse if you rely on works of the law. And then the next citation says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide in the law to do all, to do all the things in it. Um, that is a really tricky exegetical quagmire. <laughs> um, PhD theses are still being written just on these four to five verses, trying to figure out the logic of how those two things fit together. Um, and Luther has a very distinctive understanding, which you may or may not think makes exegetical sense, but it draws in this question of, the believer and the law, and to what extent a believer does the law, and then he tries to fit it such that you are no law, you are not under the curse because you're under the law, but you're also not under the curse because you're not doing the law. I think that's the issue that Luther is trying to address um, in page 147. Part of the question here has to be then, are we doers of the law? And if so, does this bring us into a kind of third use? Could you, would you explain the, the quandary that you're talking about? Like, oh, yeah. and, and I, I picked it up when Luther was explaining it. Yeah. It seemed like, as I was reading it, it seemed like he was making it more complicated than it needed to be. But obviously, you just said the same. So I'm like, OK, now what am, what am I missing? But to me, it makes pretty good sense. <laughs> yeah. Those who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the law to do them. So what's the the, yeah. the the problem that people typically think is here is that statement one mm -hmm. says you're on a you're under a curse if you are relying on the law. The works of the law. Yeah, and statement two says you are under a curse if you are not doing all of the things of the law. Yeah. So so I'm, are you? Are, <laughs> I don't get it. Okay. It seems like part two is explaining part one. Mm. Like, like he says four. He's like, let yeah. me back up my statement. Like I just said something that if you rely on the works of the law, you're under a curse. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to back it up with the scripture, right here. Yeah. The scripture says you're cursed if you don't abide by all the things in the law. Right? Yeah. So in short, that's what he's saying. Most people have just kind of taken it as saying. You're damned if you do, if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Right. Oh, so you're assuming that part one means pe these people who are relying on the law are actually doing them, or, or or are trying to do, yeah. No, like are actually pulling it off. 
Like, or who? Or you think they are? I think they are. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. that's how I that's how I read it. He's saying. Well, well, that's how I read it, and I think that makes sense if you read it that way. Mm. Who think all of the all of you out there who think you're pulling off the law, you're under a curse because look, right here it says that unless you do it perfectly, you're under a curse. Yeah. But are you trying to say that these these people who rely on the law are like like Paul's forwarding a group of people who actually are pulling the law? That that's sort of the exegetical problem. I'm there just is. sitting out there. Um, yeah, I, I'm just trying. I'm just trying to point out the problem um, because the logic doesn't flow quite as clearly as um, one would wish it would. Um, I mean, yeah, I see the problem. Yeah. If these people who rely on the law are actually perfectly obeying the law, then yeah. I'm like, oh wow, that's a problem. This doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. But does it, it? It seems to solve the problem. If we track what the rest of yeah. the seems to be saying here is that no, nobody actually does the law. You get, and if you're going to take the law, you better do every point of it. That's what he says later, you know, down to the T. Yeah. The, uh, the, the reason I want to draw attention to that potential issue there is just because Luther kind of thinks what he has to do is show that believers are not relying on the law at all, yeah. and yet they are doing all of it. That's that's the that's what he's driving at on page one forty seven. Um, so I, in other words, I don't want to sweep that problem under, but I don't want to just get lost in Galatians three uh, ten. We're doing it all simply by believing in Jesus. Is that well, but the question is, is that it? Um, no, that's not what he's saying in page one forty seven. So what does he say? Well, I would say that I'll, I'll preface my thoughts. Well, he says it here in the middle of the paragraph 147. We must first receive the Holy Ghost, whereby we, being enlightened and made new creatures, begin to do the law. That is to say, to love God and our neighbor. That's what I, what I was going to say is we tend to get mired down in abstractions when we talk about the law as if it's these moral works that hang out there in the ether. Mm. And Paul and the, or, I mean, Luther and the Antinomian Disputations and right here in Galatians is saying, the law is not an abstraction. It is a command to love God and a command to love neighbor. And it is, it's not just an act of righteousness towards my neighbor, but it's a love God thing. And that's not simply evidenced by be, being better at um, not having an affair or not lusting or whatever it is, but it's, it's manifested in a sincere devotion to God, love of God. Yeah, but it's with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, you know, and so how can we ever say that we begin, you know, yeah, begin is fine, but fulfill is... Oh, I'm not, I would never say fulfill, but he says begin to do the law. And when he says to do the law, he says that is to say to love God. So I, I just want to keep, uh, for my heart, in my heart, I want to keep away the abstraction of the law and keep before me ever Jesus' summation of the law. Mm. To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There, there's a relational component here to the law. Um, that is still law, but it is also, yeah, it's not a list of rules, so to speak, as we would in a grass way, try to say it. There's but there would be a coherence between loving God and loving others and fulfilling the first and second tables, right? Yeah, for sure. The okay. tables. Yeah. Of course. Because um, that's what Luther says in the Antinomian Disputations, is once we've received Christ as gift or sacrament, 
um, we seek to follow him as example. And he said, this is none other than following what is preached in the law. That's right. The first table and the second table. Yeah. Right. This is that here, too. Mm -hmm. Before all things, in other words, first, we hear and receive the promise which set it out for Christ. Then do we love God and our neighbor and do good works and carry the cross patiently. And, and I guess the... the Read this, wherefore, if, I'm going to translate it into modern language. I can't handle reading like this. Wherefore, if you will define truly what it is to do the law, it is nothing else but to believe in Jesus Christ. But it this says, and when the Holy Ghost is received through faith in Christ to work those things which are commanded in the law. Now, I mean, the question is, is that when Luther says we have, there are two uses of the law, is he actually saying that there is this third use now, which he just doesn't call a use of the law, or would you say that as a misreading of what he's doing here? I'd, no, I'd talk a lot. No, no please, please, please do. Well, I don't, I don't see it. Mm -hmm. I see it as a, a sentence which is trying to say a lot mm -hmm. at one time, but of course we read it in chronos, in time, so it takes a while. It takes a couple seconds to get it. Um, so where did it start? Wherefore, thou wilt find truly what it is to do the law. So here it is. It is nothing else but to believe. So say back to Heidelberg. Believe and it's all done. So here's the verb do. But to believe in Jesus Christ and, and this is where it's all taking time, it's that spontaneous you know, sort of event that all happens. And when the Holy Ghost is received through faith, so when the belief happens, the trust is given. Uh, to work um, and when the Holy Ghost is received through faith in Christ to work those things which are commanded in the law so they just it's not a sequential event mm. the event happens the speech act the performative work pulling buyer back um, and then all happens at once belief and work the work of God is to believe and then the works the good works as God is the worker, that just comes. So there's no sort of, and so now my challenge to you believers is, that's redundant, why go back there? Because the belief has happened, the trust has been given, the meat has been put in my mouth, and so now I find myself in the, in the Eustace part, mm. different, being ontologically present, you know, outer man now has active righteousness. It's happening. Of course, then as soon as I look at it, I'm back in my members, away from my heart. Senators and the law quickens, and uh, spring, sin springs forth, and now I'm dead again. Mm. Oh yeah, let me go back to repentance every day, again and again and again and again and again. It, I know what I think about the third use, but I, I would only simply say, it seems like Luther's saying here, this is not a use of the law, but a mm. use of the spirit. Mm. I think he's the saying law this, the use of the spirit. This no. is a this is a no no no. This is a function of regeneration. Okay. That the believer obeys the law. I think he's stating a fact, not a we use the law to do this. Heat follows fire. You make a fire, look, heat comes right when the fire happens. I think it was Gerhard Ebeling who pointed out that the the phrasing of uses of the law is highly misleading. Yeah, right. That's because right. Yes. any any use of the law is God's work on us rather than, than our than our work 
on it. Right. Or, so God is the worker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we might say the way the spirit gets what he wants, you know. Mm -hmm. So how does that reconcile with the first use for unbelievers? God's omnipotent. Still working all, all through all things. Hardening Pharaoh's heart. He's not working on anybody with the first use. If they're not, if he was working on them, then they, then they would go into the second use. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Because they need a preacher for that. I, I mean, that's what I would say at least. Yeah, the Ethiopian eunuch was obeying the stop signs. Yeah. He had no preacher. Hmm. Well, yeah, I agree with that. What I'm saying, I'm just questioning if every use of the law is God working on a person. Like how, does, yeah. how does that reconcile with the first use? Stop signs, not, not murdering people. Is that God <coughs> working on an individual? That, that isn't. We're back to omnipotence of God, right? His inscrutable will, uh, consigning all men to the planet would be there because it's the heart. What we're really saying is, is there a better term for uses of the law? Mm. Things, uh, instead of the law's uses, God's use of the law, or I don't know, you know. Yeah. But you're just asking in what way is God using the first use of the law on people? Well, I didn't have that question until this, what was said, mm -hmm. that, it, it, that the use of the law is not the right word, it's, it's the Holy Spirit working through the law. Mm -hmm. What did Abelink say? He just said that you, the, the phrase uses of the law is misleading, because particularly in relationship to this debate about the third use of the law, where we can say, okay, the second use of the law is, you know, God crushes me, a sinner, by showing me my sin, but the third use of the law is when I take up the law. Um, but that's not, I mean, that's not what people would say, or at least I've understood the articulation of the third use. Right. All, I mean, all three are declared from one place to another, mm. from God to people, mediated. Yeah. God to people to restrain evil. God to people to crush. God to people to guide, mm. to point. Um, and so if people think that, I don't know, if people think that third use means I'm taking up the law now and doing it, mm -hmm. I don't think that's a fair understanding of the way third use is articulated because yeah. it's still I mean the way the way I the understanding of the debate is, is always around preaching mm -hmm. right. how to how a preacher on behalf of God uses the law mm -hmm. you know and even that yeah that's kind of weird too the use language is, sounds manipulative mm -hmm. like I can use it one way and not the other now he preaches the law and it kind of goes forth and does its thing. Right. The purpose of the law, perhaps. Right. Three purposes of the law. Yeah, I, I completely under, I understood the, the construct of, mm. of the three purposes or uses. I was just curious 
if it's God doing a work on an individual, then that kind of throws that off for me on the first use. I mean, God's work on an individual in the first use. And I don't think it's more complicated than just ordering society, ordering families, ordering the state, ordering, um, just ordering, just keeping. I think of it as work. He's like, I could be flying around like a like a hurricane, and God is holding me. He's working on me by holding me down, so I'm not busting everything up around me. You know, that's a work. God's working on. Sure. So I mean, yeah, he's, we, like, he's doing it's omnipotence. Right. Still, are we still uh, keeping the world? What's tricky about taxes? the work on language? Like, what's well the, the, for the unbeliever? For me, he's not working on him towards conversion. Yeah, but he's, he's working, working on heart. <laughs> Do you think that's a realm that God doesn't touch, or like, what is it about the work on language that's problematic? I guess, I guess it is. I, I um, to I was just thinking if God's working in an individual, sure. Then you know, it's in, in my mind. It then, sounds so theological. Yeah. That's the way we normally use that language. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's why like, we're working on. God's working on him. Because so. mm -hmm. on's nice and external. Yeah. Yeah. On versus in. Yeah. But then you get like the example of Pharaoh and the bondage of the will, and God worked on him mightily, but only in a way to provoke um, his bondage. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think. I was like, something we read. Luther continually says God is working on the wicked. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it was fair. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess you do. You see that. There's many examples. Scripture. Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar bring about the downfall of Israel. Yeah. Pilate. Mm-hmm. Jews. Mm. Yeah, that, that is the difficult thing, which we're kind of getting back into bondage territory. Um, but that God does work all in all, but not all feel the touch of the, the second use of the law, and not all feel the comfort of the gospel. <laughs> um, and that is just nothing other than the hidden God who doesn't reveal himself, so we can't say anything about it, but that in some sense I think has to be true of reality that insofar as God is causing all things in all, he's working all things. He's using sort of misshapen tools and slightly better shapen tools. He's not bringing all to to salvation. This is uh, something I looked up here. It says dictionary of theological terms. Mm. The third and principal use, which pertains more closely to the purpose, the proper purpose of the law, finds its place among believers in whose heart the Spirit of God already lives and reigns. So it's really kind of putting it into that the redeemed or the, those who are redeemed. For even though they have the law written and engraved on their hearts by the finished work of God, mm -hmm. they have been so moved and quickened through the directing of the Spirit that they long to obey God and they still profit by the law in two ways. And it goes on from there. I think we've we've talked out the uses of the law about as far as we're probably going to get it. Um, 
for today unless there's something else. Any other questions about? One thought, yeah. and just make sure this is right. I mean, true or false, Luther would say, Luther does say, the second use of the law, the theological, the killing use of the law, does not happen unless the gospel follows. Mm. That God only kills that which he will quicken. Judas, though. Yeah. He says that in his preface to Romans. Mm. I mean, I the inscrutable will of God. Maybe in parentheses, God only kills the elect. The God can kill, you know, inscrut the two wills of God, which we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. I was talking out loud here. He'll kill there without necessarily quickening. That's interesting, because I've, I've always taken it more as saying, don't give someone the law without then giving them the gospel, because it is possible just to give someone law. And that's probably you know, that's something that happens in a lot of churches, is someone just receives law. Um, so they are only dead. What's interesting, though, is um, it might be bad mediation, and I'll grant that. What's mm -hmm. interesting is... Bad what? Bad mediation, bad preaching. And yeah, the Spirit's stronger than the preacher. Right. And the Spirit can... The Spirit can discern law from gospel. And the Spirit... Someone can hear it as a condemnation, and that'd be bad. But the Spirit can also say, I will do this in you. If you are a real regenerate Christian, even though all you've heard is law, I will still work it in you. Um, which is uh, a thought that's been festering for me. Mm -hmm. and because So, you know, in some sense, it's screw the 30s, right? Luther's saying, Spirit can do this, even if there's not simultaneous law gospel. Sure. And that's, uh, and that's honestly probably the most preaching in Christian history, which is how you explain anything good happening in the Christian church, you know what I'm saying? That's sort of an, that's sort of an Augustinian way of thinking about it. Yes. Where Augustine would say you have to think about preaching as sort of following a path, and you hope to go straight from A to B, but so often sermons just, you know, go off where they shouldn't go, um, but you have to trust that the Spirit is the thing that's able to to go from the A to the B whenever your sermonizing is leading way off the rails. The doctrine of the keys again. Yeah. Um, I think the word to preachers, though, the Lutheran tradition, which I'm not part of, except Luther, that I appreciate is to saying it's a big deal. Preaching word and sacrament it is, big. Is, is not to be taken lightly. Yeah. Um, Holy Spirit absolutely can you know, take crack pots and do what he wants, but you know, for preachers to go forth and obstinately preach only law, you, know, you should not assume to be teachers, <coughs> you should be judged more harshly. Yeah, that reminded me of the repeated refrains in the freedom of a Christian on if these people are, lo are sort of locked in, in terror, in despair, it's because you haven't done your work as a preacher. Because the preacher's job to be there to give the word that creates faith. Um, so I, I think you have to balance, I feel like you have to balance those two things of saying, sure. yes, um, anything that my preaching ever accomplishes is nothing other than the work of the Spirit which accompanies the word that I speak. And yet, I have to do everything I can by the power of the Spirit to discern and divide God's word for people 
in the preaching of scripture. Because we keep coming back to the question of assurance and doubt and all of this, I wanted to point to one place in the Galatians commentary where Luther specifically addresses that. Um, it's on page 248. Um, and it's within Luther's discussion of how God sends the Spirit to us. Um, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Um, so on page 248, he says, Let us give thanks unto God that we are delivered from this monstrous doctrine of doubting and can now assure ourselves that the Holy Spirit cries and brings forth in our hearts unspeakable groanings. And this is our anchor hold and our foundation. The gospel, here's interesting language, the gospel commands us to behold not our own good works or our own perfection, but God the promiser and Christ the mediator. Contrarywise, the Pope commands us to look not unto God the promiser, nor unto Christ our high priest, but unto our own works and merits. Here on the one side, doubting and desperation must needs follow, but on the other side, assurance of God's favor and joy of the Spirit. For we cleave unto God who cannot lie. For he says, Behold, I deliver my son to death, that through his blood he may redeem thee from thy sins and from eternal death. And this is the reason that our doctrine is most sure and certain, because it carries us out of ourselves, that we should not lean upon our own strength, our own feeling, our own person, and our own works, but upon God and upon his precious promise and truth, which cannot deceive us. Um, There's not really a lot I want to say about that necessarily, but I just wanted to, to draw our attention there to um, this idea that insofar as we've been talking about worries about losing faith and all of this, um, it's precisely by looking outside of yourself where all that worry would even be um, that you have your assurance. Um, it this, the Holy Spirit carries us out of ourselves to look only to Christ. Cleave uh, unto God who cannot lie. Mm -hmm. And we cleave unto the God that you conceive and reveal God. Mm -hmm. There's the promise. And in relationship to that God who is revealed, there is no, there's no time for worrying about that. Um, because the, the thing that's promised is that the Word does all things for you. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.